like that. So I want you to plan to be there for the uh, back to school blast. It's a wonderful time for us to uh, give to our community and support the uh, community the way the church ought to. We shouldn't trust this to other people. We're God's people, and God is our provider, and we're a tool that he uses. So I want to remind you of that. Also, uh, Saturday night is a real big event at the Lake Ozark Speedway where I'm the chaplain there, and if you want to go, uh, get with me, and I'll give you the information. It starts at 7 o'clock, and uh, we'll have a great time there. I know Bill's going with me, and we're going to have fun. Sunday, next Sunday, Communion Sunday, uh, be aware of that and uh, bring your friends and family. Also, uh, next Sunday evening, we will have our uh, anniversary and birthday celebration in the evening following the service. So if you have a birthday or anniversary in August, we want to honor you. So we ask you to be here that we can share and celebrate with you. Turn your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 6. If you want to experience the church the way it was in the book of Acts, come on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock to the park, to the gazebo there, and we'll have prayer in the park and pray with one another as they did in the book of Acts. You know how the church is going to see the power of God fall when we do what the Word of God says for us to do, and that's pray. If my people who will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, guess what will happen? What did he say would happen? We will hear from heaven. He will heal our land. Does our land need healing? Then let's gather in the park. We're praying for our school, for our community. We pray for one another. And we're believing that God's going to start doing mighty works through those who believe. Acts chapter 6. We've been looking at the church in the book of Acts. Next slide. Over the last few weeks, so we can see what the church is supposed to look like. As we look at the church in the book of Acts, this is what we're asking ourselves. How well do we match up to this model of how the body of Christ is supposed to function? Well, if you were, if you were to grade yourself as a church on a scale of 1 to 10, how well do you match up? to the church in the book of Acts. Would you give yourself a five? Uh-oh. <laughs> so you're probably not saying seven. <laughs> Maybe a three. Well, can we improve? Yes, we can. And the reason all this is written is for our example. So we can take the example and apply it. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to pray more. We need to get behind the leadership of the church. And we're going to have the revival that we see in the book of Acts. You say, why don't we see miracles? We're not doing what they did in the book of Acts. Taking it to the streets. Seeing people and seeing the real need that they have. Not just the hand out, but seeing what we can do to give them a hand up. I want you to see the church in three areas. In growth, in politics even though we don't like to talk about that. But we're going to see the church growing and serving through its leadership in these three areas, growth, politics, and leadership. The first seven verses of Acts chapter 6. In those days, I like that, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, and up to this point, that's all we've heard about this church. It just keeps growing and growing and growing, isn't it? That's God's will. 
In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and of wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Wow. The church in the book of Acts was growing because it was serving. Let's look at the church in the book of Acts growing and serving. I pointed out to you verse 1, but look at verse 7. The last phrase there, the number of disciples increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The disciples in chapter 5 at the end of it, which we haven't really dealt with, were again in front of the priests and the leaders of Israel, those who crucified Jesus. They were in there again, but they were let go because the the world has no power over us. They can't tell me that I can't preach. Because if they, if they uh, tell me I can't preach, I'm going to do it anyway. If they put me in jail, I'll just preach in jail, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the uh, Nazi antagonist in the World War II. He just preached to the guards and preached to the prisoners, performed wedding ceremonies in the prisons. He became the pastor of, of the Stalag. Priests became obedient to the Word of God. That's a great thing, to see the church growing. Look at, the, at verse 1. Let's see the church growing in this first aspect in ministry. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. There was a ministry there that it looks like we're only seeing the problem but look and read between the lines and see the church growing in ministry. They have an opportunity here because there are so many widows to minister. We can look at our situation here and say, well, we've got problems. Can you think of a few problems? If you looked at it from the negative in your church, they look like problems. But look between the lines. See it from another perspective and say, you know what, this looks like a ministry opportunity like angel food ministry this looks like it's going to be a lot of work but it's a ministry it's a ministry that we can really reach out to our community provide boxes of food for a really reduced price we can help people who are trying to trim their budgets by starting a ministry called angel food ministries and we will start that won't we millie when they get their act together we're ready all right, we've been told and told and told. It's, they're not lying this time, right? <laughs> okay. We don't need to look at 
the problem. We need to look at the opportunity. If we're going to be a growing church, we're going to see ministry opportunities instead of problems. We can say, oh, man, where did all these kids come from? What are we going to do with them? Man, if that's your attitude, you need to just walk out the door right now before I offend you even further. Because we love kids. Jesus said, let these little children come to me because that's what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And if you don't look like them, if you can't whistle while we're singing <laughs> or praying over the offering, then you got a problem. Because you won't be happy in heaven. Jesus doesn't like you that much because you can't just let your guard down. Hey, I'm preaching the word to you. If you can't just let your guard down and be you, be who God created you to be, uh, you've got a problem you need to change and become like them or you can't see the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus said. I want to see ministry happen. There was an opportunity in the daily distribution of food. They said they took this upon themselves to start distributing food to widows, those who could not uh, provide for themselves because they were widows were given food. The apostles said, somebody needs to distribute food to them. Just go to them two or three times a day, take them meals. That was a ministry. They were growing in ministry because their number was growing, their, their ministry was growing. Think about the ministries that are needed right here at New Life. I put up a list here. And maybe, you're, maybe your idea is on this list. Maybe your idea is not on this list yet. We need worship team. Would be cool to pack this stage out and pack these pews out too. Would you like to have more people helping on the ministry team? Michelle, Michael, would you like to? That would be great. When we've added one or two here and there, man, it's just blessed. When Jay started playing the drums, it was like night and day difference for our worship service, wasn't it? When David picked up the bass, which we, we had, he had the bass, but we just didn't know he could play it that well in our home. And he brought it here to church, and he's doing great. When Kimberly stepped up here, the same. That's added a lot. Another voice that we can hear. What about you? Maybe you need to join the worship team. I don't need to join the worship team. <laughs> See, I get amens on the front row when I preach the word, straight and true. Children's church workers, nursery workers for our children, Sunday school classes. I'm surprised that we have a lot of people in our morning service but not in our Sunday school. Why is that? Well, Brad doesn't feel ministered to in our Sunday school class. We can offer him a class that appeals to him. Our children have the same need. We've packed them all into this classroom that Michael is leading, and that's too broad of a spectrum to do. We need, we need to open up our church so that all age groups can be ministered to on their own level. Now what is that going to take? You know what I'm about to say, don't you? Some of you are going to have to raise your hands and say, here am I, send me. I'll teach a Sunday school class for those little runny-nosed bratty boys. I mean girls. That's what it's going to take. It's going to take that to have more Sunday school classes, more youth sponsors. Our Wednesday night group is going to start growing even more as school gets back in session. As these guys take the vision that they've got, they, I mean, they've got the brakes on big time because they've got big ideas of what they can do here. If we release them, it would overwhelm us. And that's what we want. 
They, but they're going to need some help in there. They're going to need some youth sponsors. We need to get this women's ministry up and going. And you're going to be a part of that. We need to have a men's group going. We need Wednesday evening boys and girls programs. Roll Rangers. Bill, you're at the top of my list. Brother Jim, you're at the top of my list. Gary, you're at the top of my list. Stacy, you can't teach boys. You can teach missionettes, the girls programs. We need those. You've had them in the past, so I'm not presenting anything new to you. You can do it. And if you can't, uh, trust me, my wife and I will help. We need all kinds of programs. Marianne, can I get a witness? The last thing up there, you can, can you see it from there? A singles ministry. There you go. Can, can our church grow in ministries by adopting some things that will minister to our community? We need to be doing more. The church was growing in ministries. They found an opportunity and they said, let's go do this. This is for us to do, not for somebody else to do. They weren't waiting for the welfare program. They weren't waiting for WIC or uh, food stamps to take over. They said, it's our ministry. Let us do it. We'll do a better job at it. Trust me on that one. Well, they were growing in ministry, but look at the second thing they were growing in. And I think maybe these two things go hand in hand because we're humans. They weren't just growing in ministry, they were growing in complaints. So when we start growing, I'm not surprised when you start complaining. But I got big old shoulders, and when I think I'm right, me and Stacy, we're Dunbars. And when we just think we're right, hey, you say whatever you want, we're still going to do whatever we think is right, because we know we're right, don't we? And if, we think, and if somebody thinks we're wrong, we'll just call your dad, my twin brother, and he'll tell us we're right, won't he? He's just like that. There was complaining going on because the church was growing, because they had more ministry opportunities that they took on. People complained. The Grecian widows, that is anybody who wasn't a Jew would be, a, would be considered a Greek. But uh, specifically here there were people from Greece and the widows that had joined the church from that first, uh, second chapter of Acts where they were in, in Jerusalem for the Passover festival, they decided not to go home, but to stay there and be a part of this great and growing church. Well, they were being overlooked by the Hebrews, because this was a Hebrew thing. Jesus wasn't a Greek, he was a Hebrew. But God has a bigger picture, doesn't he? And it's hard for you and I to get along, because you are different than me, and one of us needs to change. <laughs> Well, we need to learn to get along, don't we? And so here were people growing in ministry. The church was growing, and the complaints were growing. Did, they, did these uh, Hebrew Jews overlook the Grecian Jews on purpose, I ask you? Come on now. Well, is, that our, is that what we really think? I don't think people mean to do that. If I forgot to call you... If I didn't do what you thought I should do as a pastor, did I do that on purpose? We have to give each other some grace, don't we? And this pastor has failed. I've failed miserably in a few areas when it, me trying to minister to you or where I should have. I beg your forgiveness and your mercy. And instead of complaining, what can we do to help? That's what they did as their church grew. There was more ministry opportunities. There was complaints. We do what it says in 1 Corinthians 13 and love 
the way we ought to, without uh, evil in thought, with without those the pure love that you turn to Acts. I'm sorry, to First Corinthians 13. Let's look at what the church's mercy should be towards one another. What it really looks like from a biblical perspective that God has ordained the church attitude should be. When there are complaints, let's look at, at Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, and see that we have this kind of attitude in our hearts. The real attitude we need in our church is love. And 1 Corinthians 13, beginning at verse 4, says this, love is patient. I think if we're patient, we won't complain as much, will we? Love is kind. It helps us, doesn't it, when we think of, of our church attitude when we say, well, am I being patient? Am I being kind? Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. You see how all those attitudes wipe away our complaining spirit, doesn't it? Love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. What would the church look like if we had this attitude? We keep no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's the attitude that the church will grow under. Our ministries will grow. Our complaining, if we have 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love for one another, will be minimal. And we're going to grow. The church needs to be growing and serving like it is in Acts chapter 6. Church politics. Who wants to talk about church politics? Well, I think this is a this is an appropriate time for us to see the church growing and serving in this second phase because it's right here in the Bible. So we're going to deal with it. And this church, you, Living Faith, Russellville Assembly of God, is at a perfect crossroads where you're going to need to come up to this level where we're going to see some church politics. At verse two says, so the twelve gathered all the disciples. That's the twelve disciples that Jesus chose, minus Judas, and they added Matthias. So there are still twelve disciples. They gathered, they called a special business meeting, gathered all the disciples, and that's what the saints were called. That's what the church uh, congregation was called. Everyone was called a disciple. Why? Because we learn. We sit at the feet and learn from the doctrines and the teachings of the leaders, the apostles. That's you, your disciples. You're a disciple. Stay in there. Keep learning. The twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. They called a special business meeting. Now, we have special business meetings, don't we? When we're getting ready to do something big, we, we call a special business meeting. We've done that in the past and we'll continue to do that because this is not my church. This is God's church, and we are his disciples. And when we're in unity, there's nothing that's going to hold us back. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. That means when we get up to the gates of hell, we're going to push them over. You ready for that? We'll call a special business meeting when we need to take care of business. Because the church in the book of Acts did business, didn't it? God will have everything done decently and in order. That's his way. And so we have to do it that way. So they call a special business meeting, and they say, 
In verse 3, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So what did they do? They called this special business meeting and they had an election. They said, we need to have some men do this. Let's elect some men. You choose. That's an election. You choose. If it was up to me, I would choose. But the Bible pattern here says, you choose. And so when, uh, when Russellville Assembly of God decides to get out from under the district's oversight, because we have to turn all of our papers and all of our numbers, we have to report to our district every three months what we've been doing. That means we're a little baby church, and we got to have a little oversight. But we're not a baby church. We're an old church. We've been here for years. There a, comes a point where we can stand on our own two feet, and the district wants us to. They want us to elect our own leadership where we will call the shots, where we will say we are mature believers in Christ. We can read the book, and we can understand the bylaws and, the, and set up a church order that we can live under, and God, God's spirit will not be hindered, and the church will grow in ministry and not in complaints. We're going to grow. So we'll have to have an election, and we'll elect some deacons. Three people. You can choose men or women. It's up to your bylaws, however you want to make them. Who are spirit-filled, who have the qualifications of maturity and leadership, who aren't new believers. And they will tell, they will help the pastor spend the money in appropriate ways. They will help the pastor be accountable and report to the congregation. They are from among you. And so what did these disciples do? They had some politics going on here. They called this special meeting and they had an election. There are responsibilities. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's look at the responsibilities that God has given to deacons. And I'm going to even list the pastor in this because you need to see there are, there are qualifications in church politics. God's way is listed for us, written out in very plain English in 1 Timothy chapter 3. The first 13 verses says this, Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, that is a pastor or elder, he desires a noble task. Now there are some young people in this place that I know God is called to pastor. God is called to preach. Here's a trustworthy saying. If you set your heart on being that, You've desired a noble task. God's given you a stirring in your heart. Go for it. You desire a noble task. It's up to you. You can say no to God, but I don't want you to. But here's the qualification, starting in verse 2. Now, you must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife. For you girls, that means you're to be the wife of only one husband. Temperate means you keep your temper self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. That means you have an aptitude to teach. Not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome or a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. 
he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, are to be men or women worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested and then there's nothing and then if there's nothing against them let them serve as deacons in the same way their wives are to be women worthy of respect they're not being elected but they're part of the process they're part of the criteria the responsibility in the same way their wives are to be women worthy of respect not malicious talkers but temperate and trustworthy in everything a deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. It's a noble task to rise to, to these levels of church, what we would just have to call politics. There's an election of a pastor, and you need to make sure your pastor fits the qualifications. And if they don't, just throw that name right out. When we get ready to elect deacons, we're going to throw out a lot of nice names and good people. But if they don't meet these requirements, if they don't have these criteria, then we need to pick other names, and we will find them. So what, what is my reminder to you, this Tennessee-born, uh, Harvard-educated, 19th-century pastor, Clovis Chapel, he said this, one secret of the drawing power of the early church was that it made heavy demands on its members. And one secret of our weakness is that our demands are too small. We need to keep the standard high. This is God's church. This isn't man's church. If it was our church, we'd lower the standards because we're human and we want, we want to lower the standard to make ourselves look better. But God doesn't deal with us that way, does he? He keeps the standards high. I know men whose wives have left them, and they no longer can serve in these areas. That's sad because they're good people. They have all the qualifications except that one. They've married again. Now they're not the husband of just one wife. There's two. She's still alive. You say, well, that's not fair. I'm sorry. That's God's word. If you don't like it, take it up with him. If you can get him to change his word, we can change it. We can change our bylaws. We need to keep our standard high. That's one reason we've become weak in the world, because we've compromised and come uh, to the world's standards. They think there's nothing wrong with this. But God says something different, doesn't he? And so we need to rise up to that standard. That's where the power came from in the church in the book of Acts. They found seven men who were of a good report. They found these seven men who fit the qualifications. Now turn back to Acts chapter 6, and we'll finish this. There were results. In their church politics, they got results. When they called this special meeting, they, made a, they had an election, and everything went smooth because the people were of one mind and one heart. They had the love of Christ from 1 Corinthians 13 in their hearts. They chose seven men. They brought them before the apostles. You see, this idea of election in this special business meeting, verse 5 says, this proposal pleased the whole group. That's what happens 
when we get on the same page, that's what happens when we love one another the way we should. When we grow in our ministries, when our, when our church starts growing and starts serving, we find ourselves in unity. We find ourselves happy with one another. That idea pleased us. You've been a wonderful church, a wonderful congregation to lead. Because every time I have a great idea, one of my, one of my brainstorms, you say, hey, that's, that pleases me. Let's do that. Bill, this especially. Uh, uh, I really like passing ideas by Bill because he gives me that kind of an answer that I know it pleases him, and he wants to get behind and, and do it. Let's do it. This idea pleased the people, so they chose seven men. Those leaders rose up among them. There were results. When we have church politics, they shouldn't be like the world politics, where we campaign and when we electioneer and when we have to have rules and regulations and more money goes, gets thrown around. It's not about money. That was in the requirements in 1 Timothy chapter 3, wasn't it? When we have this kind of God-led politics, we're going to see results. The people will be pleased. And what else will happen is leaders will rise up. The leaders will rise up. Let me ask you this question. Do you see people among us today, maybe somebody who's not here, do you see people among us who show signs of leadership potential? Do you see people among Look around. Look around. Yes, I'm looking at you. There are people here with leadership potential. You see it and I see it. That's what happened in the book of Acts. Stephen wasn't raising his hand. Philip wasn't raising his hand saying, pick me, pick me, pick me. They were all saying, please don't pick me because this is hard work. This, this, this area of politics in the church is the hardest work of all because you got to get behind the scenes and see how it really works. And it's not always pretty because we're human, <laughs> that's why. Do you see people who show signs of leadership potential? Your pastor, Deborah Snellen, saw potential in you, didn't she? And I see the very same thing she did. I wear the same spectacles of Christ. That vision that pastors have that can see behind your little wall that you've put up that says, don't pick me, whatever you do, don't pick me. Trust me, you've got leadership potential. God will help you. If you knew me before, before uh, God called me, even after God called me, you would say, that guy doesn't have any potential. I've had pastors say, you'll never make it. You don't have what it takes to be a pastor. Well, once again, I made up my mind. I knew God called me, and so he's going to equip me. And if, God has, if God's given me favor, he's equipped me, and things can go well. It's not me, because I can't do it in my own self. I would preach like I sing. That wouldn't be pretty. But God's blessing is on us. Do you see people who show signs of leadership potential? It may come a time where we, where we pick other people. But just remember, you're on the list too. And so that next slide is for you. Who, me? Why me? You may be saying that when we pick you to do church leadership here. All those ministry programs that this church needs to grow in is going to require people, and some of you will be elected to serve. Some of you will be asked nicely to volunteer. <laughs> and you may be saying, who, me? You may be saying, why me? Trust God. Do you believe God can do anything? 
it's in his word. I can do, say it with me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now you said it. I heard you say it. <laughs> now there's no more excuses, are there, Marilyn? You can say who me or why me. That's okay. But if God selects you, you jump up and serve. This is the church in the book of Acts that we're looking at growing because they're serving. They elect these men. It pleases the people to choose leaders among them. High demands on these leaders, and they see great results. Leaders rose up. I pray God will send laborers into his harvest field because you and I can't do it all. Michael and Michelle can't do it all. Our Sunday school teachers do a wonderful job, but they can't do it all. They need help. They need you to step up and say, hey, can I take a week? Can I take a month? Let me do it. Let me start a new class so we'll minister to a different group of people. That's what God desires, the church growing and serving. Let's look at leadership in the church, those deacons that were chosen. It's an interesting word, deacon. We think of deacon as uh, in the proper church where this kind of leadership happens as uh, important people. Uh, the uh, elected officials... They're like the congressmen of the church. Trust me, they're nothing like that. It fits into our mold and politics that way in the way we run our church. But the word means servant. Table waiters. That's what they were. They were selected to wait on tables. Anybody want to volunteer for the job now? Deacons? We're going to elect deacons in the near future. Anybody want to wait on tables? That's your job. That's what deacons do. They serve. They serve the people. You're here to represent the people to the leadership. You take the people's heart and bring it to the table of the leadership and say, this is what the people desire. Can we do it? Can we afford to do it? How can we make this happen? They're servants. They serve. Their job is service. They assist the pastor. They come alongside the pastor. They support the pastor. This is what deacons do. They serve. They're the right and left arm of the pastor, and they hold up his arms when he's too weak to do it. They, they assist him and go forward with the ministry. They serve. That's what deacons do. Pastors and elders. It's been pointed out when you read between the lines, when you read what the disciples said, they said, it would not be good for us to neglect the ministry of the word. So what is the church leadership of the pastor? What's his job? Ministry of the word. Ministry of the word. Now the world doesn't understand. Some church people don't understand what pastors do. They say, you mean all he does is sit in his office and prepare sermons? I could do that. Could you? <laughs> I'll let you give it a try for a while. Oh, it's much more than that. But this is one of the prime responsibilities. The disciples said, we shouldn't neglect the ministry of the word, our job, to wait on tables. Not that they're too good for that, but what had God called them to do? To go into all the world and proclaim the good news. They had a, they had a focus. They had a telescopic mission and vision. And it was to to minister the word. They said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word. That's a pastor's job to minister the word. And I think most pastors can think of a, of a few more ways that they can minister the word and work harder in the ministry and give pastors a better reputation.
The second thing is in the end of verse 4. They say, let us give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. What do pastors do as a job? They pray for you. You know, I feel every many times, often I've stood right here while you guys were worshiping, while Michelle was leading, and I felt guilty because I haven't prayed much for you during the week. I feel like these disciples, it's not right for me to neglect what God's called me to do. And I work hard and I try hard, but there's a lack here that I have for you. I could be a better pastor if I had, if my job was to pray for you. That's a worthy job for a pastor. And a big job to pray for the people. I feel responsible for you if I've neglected to pray for you. Maybe that's why you're not feeling well. Maybe that's why you brought burdens with you into the congregation because you weren't able through the prayer and the ministry of the pastor to relieve yourself of those burdens. The ministry of the pastor is to train the people to do the work of the ministry. That takes a lot of time and effort. Oh, trust me, it's a lot more than sitting in an office reading the Bible and praying for people. A pastor's job is a lot more than that. Follow a pastor around for a day and you'll say, that guy works too hard for me. I'm going to go back to my job. It's a heavy responsibility. And the disciples pointed out their, their great burden to do what God called them to do, to minister the word, to pray for the people so they could be trained to do the work of the ministry. This is the church in the book of Acts. This is how it's going to grow, and this is how we're going to serve. When we start growing, we have to start serving. Our congregation has started growing, hasn't it? Remember when I came about a year ago? There was just a few of us, wasn't there? Many of you weren't here. Praise God, you're here. The church is growing. That's what you wanted, isn't it? That's what I want. Let's get in unity here. Who wants the church to grow? Praise God, let's have 100% hands. It's nice to have visitors. We're so glad you're here. We want the church to grow, and when it grows, it won't keep its growth until we start serving our, our uh, church and our community. This is the desire of God that we be servants, that we elect some servants who will help who will help support the pastor and the ministry of the church, those deacons who will help do the work of the ministry and train the people to do that work. There's going to be some politics. It's in the Word of God, so we can, we can rest assured we're not going to get into church politics and make it like the world politics. We're going to do it like the Bible says. We're going to keep the standards high, and I'm sorry if that offends. I'm sorry if that eliminates some of the good people that could serve in different ways. But we're going to do it God's way because it's the right way. We're going to have a different kind of politics, praise God. And we're going to see results. The people will be pleased. Leaders will rise up from among us, and we will serve our community. We'll serve this world. Who knows what God's going to do if you would just say yes to serving in a growing church. Would you bow your heads? God, I know your people have a burden to grow. I know your people have been challenged today to see the church in a different way, a serving church, a church that reaches out, a church that finds opportunities instead of problems, turns problems into opportunities to minister to other people. God, would you give us a vision? God, would you start working on us? Like you said, in these last days, you would pour out your spirit on all flesh and 
the young would see visions, the old would dream dreams. God, let them be visions and dreams of ministries that we can do, that we can serve our church and our community and help it to grow and be the church that you desire to be. God, begin to work in our hearts. Begin to work in our minds. Stir our spirits. Give us a passion. Give us leaders. Give us young people who will rise up and be passionate preachers, who will serve you, God, who will teach your people. Lord, give us ears to hear the words from the back of the church to the front of the church, from the left to the right, God, the voices of leadership that will rise up and speak to this congregation, who will lead us into the promises and the path that God has planned out for us. Lord, I praise you. I ask you, God, to do what you desire to do. Let this church grow, because you see in this place people who are willing to serve. God, begin to stir our hearts now. Give us courage, Lord, to step forward, to step up to the plate and say, here am I, send me. I will do it. I'll teach the kids. I'll start a program for them. I'll do the work of the ministry. Teach me how, God. God, you give us the equipment. You give us the power and the ability. And nothing will be impossible for us. Oh, I thank you, God, for the victories that are about to happen, for the things that are just around the corner. We can just imagine what you're going to do for living faith. God, let faith rise up in our hearts. Let us live up to our name and live up to our mission to reach the lost, to be a place of authentic worship where people come in and get saved and find passionate worship for God and join it. God, give us, give us a desire, Lord, to fulfill our mission, to provide opportunities to grow in our faith by being ministers and servants in this church and in this community. I pray it for your own namesake, God. Amen. Now, I believe as you begin to pray this week, in your quiet time, he's going to start speaking to you. Don't, don't close your ears. He's going to...